All right, all right. Are y'all ready? Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. Man, this has been a, a, an incredible study through this book. If you're here on Wednesday night, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and let's just read a few verses, and then I will, uh, I will explain where we're at, okay? Hebrews chapter 10 in verse number 19. If you're there, say amen. amen. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near, say that with me, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. So much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, now, you in here that's not saved, you in here that's thinking about it, you in here that should have moved last week, but you didn't, pay close attention. For if we sin willfully, that sin is a sin of rejection. If we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. After you come to the place that you know the truth, that Jesus is our salvation, he's the only way, and you reject that. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite, the word despite means to insult unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. Read it with me. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Read it again. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for a great crowd. Thank you, Lord, for a place to gather. Thank you, Lord, for hungry people. Thank you, Lord, for a word that will convict us and challenge us. Lord, I pray right now that you will guide every person right now. Start speaking to their hearts. Lord, whatever it is that they need, if there's someone in here, I know there is with a crowd this size, there's no question, somebody in here is lost. If they were to die right now, they'd face that fiery indignation. And Lord, I pray that you'll convict them and draw them today. I pray that they won't put it off anymore. No more procrastination. I pray for the saint that's struggling, that's having a difficult time. I pray that your perfect will be done. And God will be careful to give you the glory and the praise and the honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. You may be seated. 
just as a little review, quickly, to help you understand the book of Hebrews. And I need you to pay close attention. It's very important. The book of Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish believers, new Jewish believers, that uh, have come to know Christ and salvation in between the ascension of our Lord and the destruction of the temple in 70 AD by Titus. So the temple is still in existence, it's still in operation, but yet it's really insignificant now. Because after Jesus died, the veil in the temple ripped from the top to the bottom. And, and listen, there's no more need for temple worship. There's no more need for uh, sacrifices. Jesus is the final sacrifice. Well, this group of Jewish believers who are struggling, they are going through persecution. They are going through hard times. Uh, they are going through great, great difficult times. I personally believe that they are still in Jerusalem because most of the economic business in Jerusalem was centered around the temple and the temple sacrifices. So all the economy was centered around that. And if you became a believer, you were kicked out of the temple. You were kicked out of the synagogues. You were kicked out of Judaism and you could no longer serve or work or have any kind of economy or uh, uh, commerce to go with that. So now your, your, your way of life and your way of making a living is impacted. And they were struggling. They were struggling greatly. And they were being tempted to go back to what they used to have. They were tempted to go back into Judaism, go back to the temple, go back to the sacrifices. And the whole book, the whole book of Hebrews is, is the writer helping them understand that what you have now is better than what you had then. He explains through the book, he, listen, Jesus is better than Joshua. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the high priest. His sacrifice is more uh, uh, efficient. It is better than the sacrifices of lambs, bulls, and goats. Jesus is a better way. Throughout the whole book. And now, as he has explained what Jesus' ministry is now, which is our high priest in heaven, he said the, the temple on earth was just a model of the real thing in heaven, and the high priest on earth was just a pattern of Jesus' high priestly ministry in heaven. He is at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Say amen. And Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And so here's how I want to approach this. I want to go through these last three sections of this, this particular chapter in chapter number 10 and help you understand. If you're a child of God in here and you're struggling, this is going to help you. If you are on the fence, if you are on the fence trying to decide whether you're going to follow Jesus or not, this is going to challenge you. If you don't know what in the world you believe, this is going to help you too. Church, say amen. And I've done took all I can take. Say amen. It is what it is. Whew, hallelujah. Now, now that you're all through making fun of me, <clears throat> number one, write this down if you're taking notes. Very, very important. First of all, I want you to see the instructions to the saints. He is, he is really helping them understand what God's desire is for them. Look what he says. 
Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now, I, I don't think you have the picture of the tabernacle that they had on Wednesday, but if you can find that and throw that up, that'd be great. If you can't, don't worry about it. It ain't no big deal. Let me, let me explain it to you, everybody here. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament temple or the Old Testament tabernacle, there was a place you come into, and by the way, only the priests could go in there, all right? Only the priests could go in there. And in that first section, there was the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and the golden candlestick. And that is where they ministered every single day. They would have to come in there. And they would have to make sure there was oil in the lamp. They had to make sure that the bread was on the table. And they had to offer twice a day incense on that altar of incense as prayers representing to God. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Every day they ministered there. They could not stop. Their job was never finished. But then there was a curtain. There was a veil. There was a veil. Say it with me. There was a, a veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, or some would call the holy of holies, the holiest of holies, or as Nasser, our guide in Israel, would say, the holy of the holies, amen. That is where the Ark of the Covenant was. That is where that God's presence dwelt amongst his people. The Shekinah glory of God dwelt on the mercy seat in that place, and only the high priest could go once a year, if he went in there any other time, he would be killed instantly. If any other person but the high priest went in there at any other time, they would be killed instantly. Preacher, why are you saying? Because he's a holy God and we are sinful people. And we must be separated. His glory and his splendor and his holiness would be more than we could handle. But God made a way for one man, the high priest, to make it in there once a year. And he had to be right. And he had to do it the right way or his life would be in jeopardy. But the Bible says that the day Jesus died on the cross, the day Jesus died on the cross, he said these words, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. What's finished? God's plan of salvation. No more lambs had to die. No more calves had to die. No more blood had to be shed. Jesus was the final perfect lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And the Bible says that the veil, the curtain that kept man out of the presence of God was ripped from the top to the bottom. And it wasn't so God could get out. It's so we could get in. Are y'all with me? So we had the privilege now, not just a high priest, not just a designated person, not just a designated tribe, the tribe of Levi. No, sir, anybody, we can come boldly into the presence of God. Somebody say amen. He said, therefore, therefore now that we have this access, what a privilege that is. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Now, here's the deal. Write this down. First, we see God's design. God's design. Preacher, what are you saying? All right, the veil in the Old Testament separated 
sinners from a sovereign God. They could not go in. Are y'all with me? They did not have the privilege of being in his presence. But when Jesus died, that veil ripped from the top to the bottom, now we can have access to his presence and his glory. Say amen. Now watch this. This was God's design. This did not happen by accident. Are y'all with me? Watch this. Watch this. Look at your, look at your notes. Ephesians 3.11 says, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness and with confidence by faith of him. Preacher, what are you saying? This was God's design. God designed it so we can come into his presence. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know that everybody's really picking up what I'm putting down. Do you understand we are frail? Do you understand we are weak and anemic, dust of the earth? But the God of glory, the one who spoke this world into existence, the one who made everything that there is to see, he has now created access for you to come into his presence and have fellowship with him. This is God's, this is God's design. Are y'all with me? Now watch this. Then we see God's desire. Since we have the privilege of this access, and I, I listen, there's way more preaching in these verses than I have time to do today. I would encourage you to go listen to Wednesday night because he, he, he talks about how this is possible because we have the privilege of access to God. Verse 22, let us, come on everybody, let us draw near. You see, that's God's desire. Preacher, what are you saying? God wants you closer to him than you want to be. God designed it so we could have access to his presence and listen, now that he has created the privilege of access into his presence, now he's inviting you to. God wants a relationship with you. Not just a relationship. He doesn't want to be acquainted with you. He wants to be intimate with you. He wants a close relationship. He wants you to know him. He knows you. He knows every hair on your head, but he wants you to know him. Draw near. Come to him in prayer. Come and seek his presence. Come fellowship with him. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, open the door. I will come in and sup with him and he with me. He is wanting fellowship with you. He is wanting a closeness with you. Now, when I said in the early part of this message, when I said in the early part of this message, this, this letter, Hebrews, was for struggling saints. Some of y'all probably said, I'm one of them. I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. I'm barely getting by. I can't keep my head above the waters. 
I, I don't know the end from the beginning. I, I, I don't know what's up or down. I don't know what's in or out. I preach you, that's me, I'm struggling. Well, let me tell you something. There was a reason they were struggling. One of the reasons they were struggling is because they were not draw nigh to God and he will. What, is it, what does the Bible say? In thy presence is fullness of joy. Now, fullness means you can't handle no more. And when's the last time you've been that joyful? Okay, God, ease up now. I just can't be no more happier right now. I just can't take no more. You say, preacher, you're being facetious. I'm trying to make a point. Some of us are struggling because we're not drawing near. We're not developing a relationship. How many of y'all have, how many of y'all been married more than five minutes? <clears throat> how many of y'all re- re- realize after that six minute that it requires work? <laughs> Nothing is spontaneous but anger <laughs> and frustration and misunderstanding. Yes. But if there's going to be understanding and if there's going to be intimacy, if there is going to be uh, all of these things that we, we, we desire in a relationship, it takes effort. And we're not making an effort to draw near. And we wonder why we're struggling so bad. Are y'all with me? Yes. Now watch this. God's design, he created an access to him. Y'all with me so far? He, he, de, he designed it so we can come into his presence. We have the privilege of access to him now that we didn't have before. And now he desires you to draw near because the access is available. Listen, by the way, just because the access is available doesn't mean that you're there. It doesn't happen automatically. You have to draw near to him, come to him, plead with him, saying, God, I want to know you. Then we see God's demand. God's demand. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Say, preacher, why were these Christians having such a hard time? They stopped attending church regularly. They had been unfaithful to the gathering of themselves together. Because somebody told them along the line somewhere that you don't have to go to church to be a good Christian. The one that came up with that ain't even a Christian. And they need to get a Bible with Hebrews chapter number 10 in it, with this verse in it, so they can read it, so they can know how wrong they are. Not forsaking. Now, why does he say not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together? What did he say the verse right before that? Let us consider one You see, I don't just come to church for me. I don't just come to church for me. I come to church for you. Now, I come to church to worship the Lord and to give him my adoration and my praise, but I come so I can get encouraged, so I can get help, so people can pray for me, and I come so I can pray for you. We are supposed to come and encourage one another. You can't do that watching on the couch. That's right. Is this thing on? Are y'all listening? Am I right? 
Let me read it. Y'all acting like I'm just coming out of left field with this. Watch this. Verse 24. Let us consider who? To, to what? Provoke unto love and to. In other words, I'm supposed to inspire you. I'm supposed to provoke in you to love and to good works. Watch this now. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some. They, they were doing that. And because they had been so unfaithful to assembling themselves together, they were missing out on the encouragement that they needed to hold fast. And because of that, they were being tempted to go back to what they used to be. I don't know why I'm struggling. I ain't seen you in a month. The average attendance, listen, they do surveys all the time. And they, they survey professed Christians who say they love Jesus and they say their average attendance is once a month and they claim that's faithful. What if I came home once a week? Let me tell you what would happen. I don't know where she's at. Is she over there? Oh, you're on the front row. <laughs> Look how sweet she looks. Don't let that fool you. Y'all would be looking for another pastor. Well, preacher, I just don't need that much religion. But what if somebody needs your encouragement? God's demand. He's not suggesting this. He said, quit forsaking it. You're struggling because you're staying home when you should be showing up. You're struggling because you're not getting the encouragement that you need and the help that you need because you're not showing up to get it. I read a post I made. I made it. You know that thing that shows up on your memory? It come up this week. I saw it. I was brilliant. I said, somebody called me and was struggling with an issue and was wanting counsel for this issue, and the Holy Spirit reminded me I had just preached on that exact thing two weeks before, but they wasn't there to get it. You might need a whole lot less counseling if you showed up for a whole lot more preaching. I don't know, I don't know if y'all get it or not, but I do some of my best counseling in the preaching. And the only thing you're going to get in that office is regurgitation of what I give you right here. Sorry, it's that oxygen deprivation. <laughs> Somebody say amen. amen. Listen, this is his instruction. He says, I provided access. I want you to draw near, and I want you to quit being unfaithful to the assembly of the saints. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Now, he wants, to, he wants to help them understand how important their salvation is. See, they were struggling, they were doubting. So in the next few verses, verses 26 through 31, he wants to help them understand how important the salvation they have is. This is what he says. 
For if we sin willfully, this is the sin of rejection. This is when you come to know the truth. And the truth is it that we are a sinner and Jesus is our only hope of salvation. Are y'all with me? And we say no. We put it off. The Holy Spirit comes and he convicts us. The Holy Spirit comes and he draws us. The Holy Spirit comes and he, he tries to woo us to Christ. And we keep saying no. We keep putting it off. We keep procrastinating. He says, if we do this willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for What is he saying? What is he saying? Here's the importance of their salvation. Guys, he's saying, listen, your, your salvation is so important because A, if you're taking notes, write this down. There is no other way. If you don't come by Jesus, you're not coming at all. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Are y'all with me? It's the only way. If you reject Jesus, there's no other way. If you reject Jesus' sacrifice, there's no other sacrifice you can make to have your sins forgiven. He is the only way. Are y'all with me? Not only is there no other way, but look what it says in verse 27. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. B, write this down. The importance of their salvation, there's no other way. Then B, the alternative is frightening. What's the alternative of salvation? Damnation. He said it's a frightening prospect. Fiery indignation. Listen, there's not but two places we go, guys. There's not but two destinations. It's not purgatory. We either go to heaven or we go to hell. Listen, your salvation is critically important because the alternative is frightening. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That, that rich man died and the Bible said in hell he lift up his eyes being in torment. And he begged somebody just to dip the tip of their finger in water and cool his parching tongue for he was tormented in this flame. There's no other way. The alternative is frightening. Look what it says in verse 28 and 29. This is, this is terrible. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. What is he saying there? God provided a sacrifice for sins committed ignorantly. In other words, if you committed a sin in ignorance or by accident, God provided a sacrifice so you could be forgiven. But if you committed a sin with a high hand, in other words, just blatantly did it, you knew it was wrong, but you did it anyway, God says you're executed. That's what he's saying. If you go back and read in the Old Testament, 
Why do you think David was pleading and begging with God? Because he knew he sinned with a high hand. He knew that he didn't deserve to be forgiven and that what was coming was death. And he pleaded for the mercy of God. And he said, I'm not bringing you sacrifices, but a contrite and broken spirit. David knew that there wasn't enough sacrifices to be made to save him. The only thing that could save him was the mercy of God. Are y'all with me? Listen, listen, look what it says. If that took place in the Old Testament, how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who had trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing or just a common thing and hath done despite under the spirit of grace. Say, why is our salvation so important? Because C, rejection demeans Christ's sacrifice and insults the Holy Spirit. Imagine having a kid. Imagine having a kid who was headed to a birthday party and he had worked all summer long and saved his money and cut grass, blood, sweat, and tears, did everything he could to buy his friend a nice gift. And he was so proud and he was so happy and he was so joyful to be able to take this that he had worked so hard for. And you carry your child over there to this party and this kid opens this gift and just kind of throws it down and ignores it. Tramples over it. Come on, you mother hens in here. I've seen you in action. You'd be furious. You'd you'd want to burn the house down with the kid in it. Come on. I know who I'm preaching to. Come on. Well, how do you think the the God of glory feels after he watched his son for six hours in agony, bleeding and dying on a cross after he had been so mistreated and so brutalized just so a sinner who was guilty could be forgiven. What do you think he thinks when he is overseeing a worship service and the preacher is begging people to come to Christ and receive that gift of salvation, that gift of forgiveness that was so costly to his son just to watch people treat it like it's a common thing and disregard it and trample it underfoot. The writer is saying, How much more punishment do you think he deserves? Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying when we reject Christ, we demean the sacrifice of Christ and we insult the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who's working on you right now. The Holy Spirit that is drawing you right now. The Holy Spirit who's telling you, you need what that preacher's talking about. You need to go forward and be saved. And you say, no, you're just insulting him. Preacher, why is our our salvation so important? Because there's no other way. Because the alternative is frightening. 
because rejection demeans Christ's sacrifice and insults the Holy Spirit. Then D, verse 30 and 31. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Read it with me, verse 31. It is a to fall into the hands of the living God. Vengeance is promised on the rejectors. Why is our salvation so important? Because vengeance is promised on the rejectors. Preacher, what are you saying? Jesus is either going to be your savior or your judge. Let's hurry. We got eight minutes. We can do it. We see the instruction to the saved. He says, draw near. I want a close relationship with you. We see the importance of their salvation. He's explaining to them why it's so important to be saved. Then he, he gives some inspiration for the struggling. We give some inspiration for the struggling. Verse 32. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great flight or fight of afflictions. Partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, a spectacle, that's what that word means, both by reproaches and afflictions and partly while ye became companions of them that were so used. In other words, others who were struggling too. For ye had compassion on me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. In other words, they lost their income. They, some of them lost their houses. Some of them lost their possessions. You did it re rejoicing joyfully in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Look at here. We see an inspiration for the struggling. First of all, A, write this down. You in here, the struggling, and I know you are. I know some of y'all in here, I know, I know, you know, I applied this, and, it, and it's true in this chapter that there were many that were struggling because of their apathy and because of their lack of effort and because they wasn't drawing near, because they were skipping and being absent. But listen, that's not always the case. Sometimes you can be reading your Bible. Sometimes you can be uh, faithful in attendance. Sometimes you can be doing all you know to do and still be struggling and still have a difficult time and still have a hard time and wonder, listen, is this worth it? Is it worth it? Well, this is what he follows up with. Remember what's waiting on you. When you want to quit, when you want to throw in the towel, when you don't think you can make it another step or go another day, he said, just remember what's waiting on you. You say, preacher, what's waiting on me? Well, according to verse 34, that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Now, preacher, what did he just get through saying? He just got through saying they spoiled their goods. In other words, the wicked came and took their substance, took their houses, took their possessions. But he said, hey, don't sweat that because one day there's something waiting on you in heaven that's better than anything man can steal from you. Preacher, what are you saying? When you get discouraged, remember what's waiting on you. And enduring substance. Verse 35. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of what? 
reward. We're going to be rewarded. Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. Verse 36. For ye have need of patience. For after that ye have done the will of God. You might receive what? Y'all with me? If you feel like quitting, remember what's waiting on you. There is a greater substance. There is a reward. Listen, when the chief shepherd shall appear, we shall receive a crown of life which fadeth not away. Somebody say amen. Let, your, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Listen, when you get discouraged, just remember what's waiting on you. There's streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl. There's the glory and splendor of Jesus. There's the tree of life. There's the crystal river. Ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be worth it. Don't quit. Don't quit. Listen, when you get discouraged, remember what's waiting on you. <clears throat> then verse 37, look what it says. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come. Say it with me. And he that and will not tarry. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying when you're ready to quit, remember what's waiting but then remember who's coming. <laughs> oh, yeah. Three minutes. For the Lord himself. Brother Doug, he ain't going to send an assistant angel. He's not going to send one of the apostles. He's not going to send one of the patriarchs. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter number four, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to be with him in the clouds. Them angels told those disciples when Jesus ascended up into heaven, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same one that left in this manner, he's going to come back in the same way. Somebody say amen. I know this world is criticizing us. I know this world is mocking us. I know this world, listen, they're saying, you've been saying he's, he's going to come all day. Let me tell you something, he's coming. When you get discouraged, remember what's waiting on you. Not only remember what's waiting on you, remember who's coming. Remember who's coming. Then, then, then last of all, verse 38 and 39. Now the just shall live by But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Listen, that word perdition means more than just condemnation or destruction or hell. The content and context of that, that word there is waste. Waste. When you feel like throwing in the towel, 
and you feel like giving up, remember what's waiting on you. Remember who's coming. And then remember what's at stake. What's at stake? The just shall live by faith. I don't want my life to be a waste. I, I don't I don't want to make it I, I don't want to make it the entire race and quit in the last lap. Now everybody look at me, look at me, look at me. If it was easy, everybody'd be doing this. We gotta we gotta keep our focus. We gotta keep our focus. Now, we're going to get to Hebrews chapter number 12 directly on Wednesday night, and I would encourage all y'all to be there. But it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Listen, keep your eyes on him. Now, for you, those that are struggling, and you've been making an effort, you've been faithful. You've been trying your best to draw near to God. Hang on. Hang on. There's something waiting on you that you just, that the Bible says we do not even have the capacity to understand the glory that's waiting on us. And by the way, I did find a verse in the Bible that proves Paul was a redneck. I don't believe it. Watch this. Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time cannot be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. Now, you telling me a yuppie is going to use the word reckon? I reckon not. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this, guys. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're going through, when we step on that shore, nothing down here can even come close to comparing with what's up there. Now, for you slackers, You've been missing out every other week or once a month and you're struggling. It's time for you to tighten up. It's time for you to start being faithful. It's time for you to start getting involved. It's time for you to draw near. And then the third type of person in here, if you're not saved, you don't want the alternative. What I got to look forward to, fiery indignation. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And all God's people say it.